0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Happy Easter! Happy Easter! Excellent. Yeah, very good. Can I ask you, what did you do on the weekend? We're in the middle of the Easter weekend here. Some of you are. Had the bank holiday Good Friday off as well. What did you do on the weekend? What have you all been doing? Working. Some of you have been working. Dan, you've been working, have you? Yeah. Fantastic. Me in away. Anybody else? What have you been doing on the weekend? Football. Yeah. Playing football. I noticed a little calf injury there you've picked up as well. Yeah. I hope he was yellow carded, was he? <laughs> Anybody else? What did you do on the weekend? The the Took the dog for a long walk. Okay. <laughs> Anybody hunting for a cat on the weekend? I understand that Gareth has been uh, envisioning and dreaming what he could be doing with all of his retirement time that's coming up. He's got seven more days of work after 48 years. And then Mary is going to start on him and give him a big long list. That 48 years will seem like luxury When you are having to get through that list that Mary is going to put in front of you. I've seen it. It's a book. It's a book. What did I do on the weekend? I have my very own Mary. She's called Ruth. I was upstairs last uh, yesterday putting together a piece of IKEA furniture. And for once, it had all the bits in the pack. It was a real moment. I counted them all out. I had all the bits in the pack. But somehow or other, I seem to have a few spares left over. I don't know how that seems to happen to me all the time. But what did you do on the weekend? I wonder if we were to ask people in Jesus' time around the crucifixion of Jesus. If we were to ask them the same kind of question. What did you do on the weekend? I wonder... What they would say. I wonder what the centurion would say. The one who was part of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I wonder what he would say. He was the one that declared, doesn't he, when Jesus Christ died, surely this was the Son of God. What would he say on Monday back at the office with the other centurions? We crucified the Son of God? Or what would. Joseph of Arimathea say, I've got to go and find a new tomb because Jesus has taken mine. What kind of weekend conversations, because weekend conversations kind of consume us a little bit, don't they? It's what we ask on Friday at the office. What are you doing on the weekend? And it's what we ask on Mondays at the office. What did you do on the weekend? Some of us do different things, shopping, going to the beach beach, etc., etc. But what if we had asked the people that were around Jesus at that time, how was your weekend? If we'd asked them on Saturday, they would have probably talked to us about the trauma of the crucifixion. You know, the, the crucifixion is just a barbaric way, isn't it? How on earth could people invent such a way To terminate someone's life. It's shocking isn't it? Shocking if you think about it. And rightly so. That it has been banned as a way of killing people. But the trauma I think that people faced around this particular crucifixion. Was the circumstances around it. You see this was no criminal that was crucified. And I think if we'd spoken to them on a Saturday. They would have been full of just shock. They'd been full of shock about a few couple of things. Number one, you know, why did this happen? Because this is Jesus. This is the man that's written about in the Gospels that went around doing good. Harmed no one. I mean, didn't even poke someone's eye out. In fact, on the contrary, this is the guy that spit in the soil and picked it up and rubbed it in someone's eye in order that they might receive their sight. Did nothing wrong. Nothing at all. Innocent. (laughs) The trauma of an innocent man. Was it the fear of it? Was it the fear maybe of, well, which one of us is going to be next? If the Romans can do this and crucify an innocent man, is it us? What kind of emotions, what kind of things were they going through on the Saturday? Were they hiding in fear? Were they in shock? Were they literally like zombies walking around in a spin? You know, when you meet people, you know, the loss of a loved one is something that's so traumatic for people to cope with, isn't it? And literally for the days after that, you will hear people talking about how they felt numb, numb with the sensations of losing a loved one. What would it have been like for Mary, the mother of Jesus, to look up at that cross? And see her child being crucified in that way. What would they have asked on that weekend if they had asked, how was your Saturday? And speaking of Saturday, I find Saturday quite an unusual day in this story because... Andrea spoke on about Good Friday and the famous last words that we're talking about over these, this weekend as our, a theme. And uh, Andrea talked about this, it is finished phrase that Jesus declared when he was on the cross. There's lots written in the Bible about Friday. And there's lots written, written about the Sunday that we're going to come to now. The Lord's day. The third day when he rose again. But Saturday, Saturday is just Silence from God's word. Does that reflect the, just the shock <coughs> of what happened? That nobody could even say anything on Saturday because of what had happened. What would have they said if we asked them on the Sunday, how's your weekend going? What would they have said to us then? Well, it depends who you speak to. You see, if you speak to the women that got up early and went to the tomb, I was mixed emotions from them. They were both shocked and they were amazed. They were amazed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They went there first of all thinking somebody had stolen the body, but then they realized that what was spoken about of him through the Old Testament And what he declared himself that he would die and rise again. When that actually happened, they were in shock. Because last time I checked, there ain't many people that rise from the dead. Are there? Do you know anyone? Do you? There was an interesting um, piece of news a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you picked it up, that a, a DJ had been declared dead by accident. Did you see that on the news? Um, that the BBC had got a news article, and um, there was mixed reports coming from the hospital, and they reported him dead, when he wasn't. And uh, when they asked him how he felt, he said he was very, very relieved to find and to read in the news that he was alive and well after all. But not many people rise from the dead. But these people, they'd seen people being risen from the dead. They'd seen Lazarus. Some of them had seen their very own brother being raised from the dead so they surely knew it was possible but when it happened there was just complete shock what would they have said if we asked them how their weekend was going turning me to God's word shall we answer some of those questions and shall we find out what God has got to say to our lives today as a result of these momentous three days that we read about that straddle between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and give us hope that we can be assured of here in April 2017 ourselves. Turn me to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read from verse 1 together. I want you to follow on screen if you can, but can I ask you to try and do something with me as you read the text this morning? Can we try and imagine it? Let not these just be words. Can we try and imagine this text? To get into their sandals if we can. And to ask ourselves, what was it like on this weekend? Matthew writes in his account. He says in verse 1 of Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene... It always makes me laugh when they say that, doesn't it? You know, the angel, first thing they do when they appear in the... uh, You know, if you ever saw an angel, I'm sure you'd be afraid. And they say, do not be afraid. Or Jesus appears later and he says, peace be with you. (laughs) Makes me laugh. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. It's not working, Mike. They're passive this morning again. Do you want to come up and do the bit again that you did earlier? He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Fantastic. You can even go to the tomb in Israel today. And there's a little sign as you turn um, back out of of the tomb, above the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, as only women can. Afraid, yet filled with joy. How do you do that? How do you do that? Come on, let's try and sink ourselves into this. How can you be afraid yet filled with joy? I don't know what that is—is is that apprehension, or I don't know—I don't, don't know what that is. I'm still yet to answer it. Help me out after, Ian, if you can. Afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Always makes me laugh. Greetings. It's like Star Trek, isn't it? Greetings. (laughs) Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. They give the soldiers a large sum of money, them, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. There is nothing like a good old-fashioned cover-up, is there? Verse 14. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. How many of them were there? How many? Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. But some doubted. Interesting, isn't it? These are the 11 men that were the closest with Jesus. They come into his very presence with all the prophecy. These guys knew the scriptures. And they come in the midst of Jesus himself. I mean, they would know Jesus if he came their way. And I find it really interesting that in the middle of all this wonderful story, that here they are, when they come face to face with Jesus, they fall at his feet. But yet, some of them doubted. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go I want our thoughts this morning to be around these last words. These famous last words of Jesus as he left. And there's much talk about the forerunner to these words, words. What's called the Great Commission. He commanded them, didn't he? All authority is given on heaven and earth to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That is quoted till the cows come home. But this last phrase is very rarely preached on. This last phrase is always and quite often just omitted from the passage of scripture. But these are the very last words of Jesus. He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. I like what the King James Version says, to the very end of the world. I am with you always to the very end of the world. I don't know what you're going through right now. When we had the the, um, news team up and they were talking to us about the things that we were going through. Did you notice one thing that James said, you know, when we pray, some things, you know, little things, big things. Or, you know, they affect us in different ways. And when there's stuff that's happened from us, And I know we can laugh sometimes at you know the, the emotions that we go through when we when we lose a pet, but it's very real, isn't it? Yeah. And the circumstances that we go through sometimes, our reactions to it when we doubt, the reactions that we go through feel like it's the end of the world, doesn't it? Feels like it's the end of the world, but the promise. That is to us in Jesus Christ, in his final, famous, last words to us, is this Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you came to earth. That you left your throne in glory. That you took on flesh. And became like us. Took upon yourself the form of a man. Humbled yourself as John writes. And you lived amongst us. You know what it is literally to have been in our skin. You know what it is to be under stress and to sweat drops of blood. You know what it is to experience pain. You know what it is to be in anxiety and in turmoil. You know what it is and what it feels like when friends reject us, when family reject us. In fact, your word tells us that you were tested in all ways just like we are. And yet, you were without sin. And we come to you, O God, through the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And we ask, will you shine a light this Easter into our souls again? And help us understand the hope that is ours in the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that you are coming again. But until then, you are with us always, even when it feels like it's the end of the world. Lord, will you teach us today? Will you teach us about your love? About your hope? And about what it is to have meaningful faith in you, we ask Lord Jesus. For the praise and glory of your name, we ask. That the cross... Lord might be raised up today because of the freedom that Jesus Christ bought for us on it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been worried sick over something? Have you? I'm asking a real question. Have you ever been worried sick over something? So that your stomach is turning and, and you just can't explain what's happening in your body. Have you ever had that happen to you? I don't know what happens. You know, sometimes you watch casualty in these television programs. But I don't know what happens sometimes when those double doors open and the surgeon comes out with his gloves and he's got that look on his face. And we all know what's coming when we're watching the TV, don't we? We all know what's coming. We all know he's got that somber look on his face and he's going to come and give us news about a loved one. I want to know what kind of happens to people as they physically... Fall to their knees under the pain and the anguish of knowing a loved one has died. Is that what it's like to be in so much anxiety and pain that literally, that literally information hurts us? Do you get what I'm saying? This isn't somebody that's been punched in the stomach, but it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? When life deals us a blow, we feel as if we are physically being hit or impacted by stuff when it is just information. I find it fascinating. I'm just going to be honest with you. I find it fascinating how our emotions and our mind and our thoughts can literally make us sick or make us ill with anguish. Have you ever been worried sick? Have you ever been anxious? Or be in pain or turmoil over things that are happening in your life. You know, now more than ever, young people are getting anxious about their exams. Please pray for Luke. I'm trusting Luke that you get those three years. Put the work in, bro. (laughs) Put the work in. He wants to get to Leeds. I have no idea what it's like being Luke. Luke. The pressure from his dad, who did lift a finger. <laughs> Mike and I, we just, I don't know, we claimed we studied, we were too busy mucking about half the time. And the, 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 the paradox of it all is we want the best for our kids and want them to study, it? and we're all the same, aren't we? Andrea on Joe's case, get those exams done and we all know what we were like. But there are children today that are anxious over exams, worried, stressful, some becoming physically ill, some anxious over their own health, your own health. Maybe you're expecting a report or loved ones or financial circumstances. These things mount up and sometimes it feels like it's the end of the world, doesn't it? Or is it just me that feels like that? Just me that allows certain things to, you know, as much as I read Matthew chapter 5 and it says, do not worry. (laughs) Great, yes, I read that, do not worry. But my mind goes off and does these things. And before we know it, we are full of all kinds of thoughts. Even just this week, I love how Facebook and uh, the way that we surf the internet these days pops up stuff for you. And I had been searching and doing some research and looking for some illustrations about worry and fear and these kind of things, the emotions that uh, the disciples and those around Jesus were going through at this time. What happens if you know that you've been searching for stuff on the internet? What happens is Google in all of its glory starts reporting stuff back to you that it thinks that you're looking for. And Facebook does the same thing. So popping up on my Facebook feed was the top 14 pregnancy fears. (laughs) But listen to this, it's better than this. It wasn't just the top 14 pregnancy fears, but it went on to say this. This is the full headline. The top, listen to this Matt, this is great, this is for you bruv. You've got a baby on the way. The top 14 pregnancy fears and why you shouldn't worry at all. But the problem is, I was fine until I read that headline. In fact, now that I've just gone and mentioned pregnancy fears to you two, you were fine coming to church this morning. All happy about it. And the moment somebody tells you, do not worry, what do you do? The moment Jesus says, don't be afraid, (laughs) we get afraid. And it's a real stuff that happens to us. I don't know how our mind works. But the suggestion and things come into our head. Whatever you do, okay? Don't let anything come into your head that you're not in control of. Whatever you do right now, don't think about a red apple. Now, what are you thinking about? (laughs) Some of you have just pictured it already. You weren't even coming to church this morning wanting to think about a red apple. But now you suddenly are. Are you in control of your own mind at all? I wonder sometimes. But I tell you what. As Mark taught us in his great series from Romans, the word of God teaches us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are called to think in a different way. And I'm going to explain to you why. You see, fear, uncertainty and doubt are very real things. In fact, you know that sales and marketing people have built a full strategy to get you to buy stuff that you might not necessarily want to buy just by using FUD, as it's called, as a sales method. Fear, uncertainty and doubt. If I want to sell you life insurance, all I need to do is have a conversation about, well, what would your family do if something happened to you? And the uncertainty of that and the fear of that is something that I could, if I was a financial advisor, I could give you advice for all the products that you should be buying in order to allay those fears. But fear, uncertainty, and doubt is very, very real. And none so more real than it was for those people around Jesus on that weekend. They were fearful. They were uncertain and they were definitely doubting. They were emotions that the disciples had gone through many a time before. They remember what it was like to be fearful in the boat when the storm came. But it was okay then because Jesus was in the boat with them. And Jesus got up and he said, Peace, be still. And the storm was calm. But this weekend... Was now a little bit different. Because there was no Jesus to go in the boat with them. Any time forward. He had died. And no, not just that he had died. He had rose again. And, and they're there on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus declares that he's going. He's leaving them behind. The fear. Uncertainty and doubt. Must have been gripping them. At that time. We know that in the middle of it all, there was definitely doubt. In fact, we call him doubting Thomas now as a response. It's interesting, you know, we don't give Peter that little I don't, know, we don't call him denying Peter, do we? But we call him doubting Thomas because all of us sometimes, you know, for some of the misdemeanors that we've done, or sometimes just the way that we thought, that's all it was. It was just a thought, and he's been carrying that label ever since. Any Thomas is in the house? There's a Thomas over there. Tom, don't doubt. You stand firm on God's word. But he doubted. What did he say in John 20? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers in his side, I will not believe. Uncertainty. Didn't uncertainty grip John the Baptist when he sent a message to Jesus? Are we to look for another one instead of you? Because he started to become uncertain that the man who he had declared himself here is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He began to even doubt his own sentiments. And wherever you are today and whatever you are going through today, it's a natural process that fear, uncertainty and doubt can if you allow it consume your minds but i've got good news for you from jesus's last words do you want some good news do you want some good news the gospel is called what good news i've got good news for you today and the good news is contained in this word always he is with you always church even if it feels like it's the end of the world, how cool is that? So when is he with you? Sorry, when is he with you? Just not like for a couple of minutes between nine and five when the call center is open. Can you imagine that? You're dialing heaven. Sorry, our offices are now closed. Please leave a message after a tone. Or can you imagine the frustration of trying to access God and you're in a call queue? Sorry, your call is important to us. Please wait and Jesus will be with you as soon as possible. Can you imagine it all? Instead, we have direct access to the one who is always available to us. We have our high priest interceding on our behalf, sat at the right hand of God, who longs that we make our requests known to him. Such is the God that we serve. Surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The promise of Hebrews 13 verse 5 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is with you always. When is he with you? Always. The life-changing power of Jesus brings hope us. You see, because Jesus went and turned the world upside down through the cross and his resurrection. He turned death into... He turned uncertainty into hope. He turned doubt into faith. And he turned fear into love. I'll say it again. He turned death into life. And in turning death into life, he turned uncertainty into... He gave us hope. In doubt, He gave us faith. In fear, He gave us love. In fact, I love those words, faith, hope, love. Have you heard them before? I've heard them before from Paul the Apostle who wrote a couple of years after. He said in 1 Corinthians 13, in talking about love of God that is so vast and so unchangeable, he says right at the end in verse 13, he says, now these three remain. What do they do? They remain. Ain't going away any time quickly, are they? They remain. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Always. There is always the always. There's always hope in Christ. There is always our faith that we can have in Christ. And there's always the love that we can have in him. So the always of the love that casts out fear. One John four verse eighteen says this Perfect love drives out fear. I love that. Driving sounds better than casting, doesn't it? Like casting casting I love driving out fear. I can see like you would, I don't know, like the driving of Jehu, son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. My Uncle, my Uncle Joe wrote that on my birthday, uh, my uh, 17th birthday card, uh, you know, around passing the test. And the verse he wrote on there, for his driving is like the driving of Jehu, son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. <laughs> but driving drives out fear that's what love does are you fearful this morning are you fearful this morning drive it out drive it out with the perfect love that can be there come on drive it out just go away get rid of it from your life and let's get rid of the stinking thinking that is the world's thinking and let's not be conformed to the way that the world thinks but let's be transformed by driving out fear through his perfect love. Romans 8, verse 38 to 39. When I read this, Mike, the roof's going to come off church. It says this For I am convinced. What am I? Are you convinced? We're convinced. For I am convinced that neither death, No life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. That's the love that's with you sometimes. Always. Always. That's the love that is with us. The always of knowing that his love is with us to drive out fear. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now for people that suffer with real fear. That struggle to get a control of their thoughts and emotions. I pray that the reality that you are with them always and it feels like the end of the world for them. That it would be with them right now. I pray even for people that are listening online to this message. Lord set them free. We drive out that fear through your perfect love right now. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Always faith instead of doubt. Always faith instead of doubt. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that faith is active. It tells us that without faith. It's impossible to please God. I'm going to show you something this morning. I'm going to show you the offering that was taken in church this morning. i want to ask you how much faith you've got. What I want you to do is guess what is in the offering this morning. How much do you think is in the offering that we just took this morning at church? How many would like to guess? Give a guess. Come on, be reasonable. You're working the number of heads that are here in church this morning and you're thinking to yourself, because according to your faith it will be added to you, how much is in this morning's offering that was taken in the service? Give me some guesses. Sorry? £250, says Luke. Any advance on £250? £400? £400 I'm bid. Is there any more on £400? 400 pounds I'm bit. £500 from the Scottish woman over there. Seems like like five, £500 I'm bit. Is there any advance on £500? £500 500 I'm bit. A million. <laughs> now why are you laughing at him with a million? I'll tell you why. Because this is the difference when we operate on facts and supposition instead of faith. You see... What God teaches us is without faith, it's impossible to please God because they that come to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now at a time in our church to even shout out numbers like 500 pounds for the Sunday morning offering, I'll tell you. Where's Pam and Judy? Are they in church this morning? Or Eric or some of the earlier stalwarts in our church <laughs> when, we were, when we were four and then we became eight and then etc. You'd need a lot of faith to believe God for 500 quid in the offering. But can I tell you, it takes no faith at all for you to believe any of the numbers that you guys just shouted out. Because there's some of you here that could afford to write a check flat off for 500 quid right now and stick it in the offering. Is there anybody who wants to do that? Come and see me after, in fact, I'll take the bids of 500, 400 and 250, see me after, put them in, and we'll have the best offering that we've had in a long, long while. But the thing I want to say is this about faith. Faith is something active that we have to put into action, and we can't allow it to just be information. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see, there's a line that's called faith that we've got across every single day. Now, we know there's a God that has a plan for us, and God can cover our bills. We know that, but when it comes to the area of money, are we able to give out to the little that we have, step across a line of faith, make what we have less so that we know that we can receive more from Christ? That's what, how Jesus works. What Jesus calls us to do is to every day cross a line of faith. And it's crossing that line of faith that's something that we must do as believers. Otherwise, we displease God because we must believe that he is. And that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So can I ask how much faith have you got? Or is it just data and information? Are you prepared to step out in faith about that job? About the health of your family? About whatever situation that you're coming through? Are you prepared to cross a line of faith? Take off the safety net and just say, God, I'm leaving this with you. Or do we want to continue to hold on to information? Because I tell you what, we never go forward in Christ. We never go forward in God unless we have active faith at work within our lives. Faith is something active and it's something we must work on. So, the always that we have is always love instead of fear. Always faith instead of doubt. And finally... Always hope instead of uncertainty. This word hope has changed over time. It really has. You see, hope used to be something. And if you look at the uh, the meaning of this word, and, and, and words do change over time, don't they? You know, uh, some of the things that the young people say these days—it's just unbelievable. Dan is probably the best one. I remember him at a youth service saying, "That worship was wicked." That's what he said. I'm pretty sure that he would burnt you at the stake for saying that 400 years ago if you said that our worship was wicked. But we get what you mean, Dan. We get what you mean. But the words change over time, don't they? The one I'm struggling with at the moment is this word, sick. What is going on with that? That is sick. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I still don't get it. If something's really cool that it makes you vomit, it just... What is that about? That is sick. Uh, But there's also a context to you. Sick when it's something good and sick when it's something negative. I really do not get that at all. I've got to be honest. So I'll leave that one with you. But this word hope has changed over time too. What used to be something that had real certainty in it has slowly become an I wish word. I hope to be there next Tuesday. Or, you know, I hope he can come. That's not what the word means when we read this hope that is mentioned upon upon here. This is a hope that is different. This is a hope that is rooted in the facts. It's a hope that we have that is like an anchor that's in a storm. It's the hope that's written about with the hymnists. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move grounded firm and deep in the saviour's love do you have that kind of hope in christ let me say to you and communicate it this way paul says it far better than me but he says If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. The preaching is what? Thank you, church. (laughs) And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him from the dead, we are in fact dead and the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. I'll say that again. Paul says if only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. I like what the King James Version says. We are of all men most miserable. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. Sorry, I'll read that again. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. He is the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through this man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he dis- has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. What's he put under his feet? Everything. Everything, everything sometimes. Or everything It's under his feet. I don't know what they would have said... If we'd asked them what kind of weekend they've had... But I know that on Tuesday... When some of you are back at the office... When people will ask you what kind of weekend you have had... I know you will say you had an amazing weekend... Because you have been celebrating... The death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ... Because we have a hope that is certain... Touches the very throne of heaven. We always have hope. We always have faith. We always trust. We always have his love shed abroad in our hearts and upon us in such a way that people will think we are just amazing. Because we don't worry like anybody else. We don't doubt like anybody else. We are not fearful because we know that perfect love casts out. Fears. Can I finish with these words of Paul the apostle that are right at the end uh, of that chapter where he talks about faith, hope, love? The greatest of these is love. But I love verse seven. In fact, if I could have seen Paul and suggest some literature changes to the text, I would have loved it. Loved it if he had finished with this verse instead, because this is a great verse. If you're fearful, this is a great verse. If you are anxious this is a great verse. If you are doubting, this is a great verse. If you need hope, this is a great verse. He writes about love, does Paul, and he says this, using the word always, mirroring the last words that Jesus used On the Mount of Olives, when he went, he said, I am with you always, even if it feels like it's the end of the world. Paul writes about love, and he says, It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Because love never fails. So we thank Pastor Phil this morning. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.